0: Hi, welcome back everybody. This is Julie Knudsen with the podcast Training the Pointing Labrador. And today's podcast is going to be about literally training the pointing Labrador or pointing retrievers. Uh, I'm going to just, there's not really much on the G uh, update. And it's, you know, she we're in the snow now. She's doing her retrieves in the snow, figuring that stuff out. She can't see him. So she's just got to work it out. Uh, you know smelling beneath the surface of everything. That's a that's a whole skill unto itself I posted a video on Facebook so people could see she had a hunt for a little bit it was thrown in kind of a Unexpected place and it's in the snow and, and she came up with it and came running back and handed it to me So things are going really well her obedience is good or right now her retrieving is good um, She's coming over and handing it to me. So, I, you know, that's really nice. That's going to change. As the hormones and things begin to show up in there and she begins to grow up a little bit all this wonderfulness is gonna change and she's gonna start you know just showing her own independence so that always comes but right now I'm just enjoying kind of the pleasant agreeable nature of a little puppy that's trying real hard she'll go back to that eventually but I know we got that time coming in the middle where you know she's testing things and just being a teenage dog but right now she's four months old things are are very good based on a, a number of questions I've gotten lately and a friend of mine in the Northwest that also is interested in this topic so I'm doing that for for people that are asking about this we got the competitive season you know they've already got the spring pointing lab tests scheduled and so we got you know things are happening and One of the you know the big question really oftentimes with with our pointing retrievers is you know how do we get them staunch? How do we get them to hold their points? And when I'm talking about a dog holding a point I'm not talking about something mechanical. I'm talking about a dog that if the bird is not moving around or doing funny things then the dog remains at point. Obviously if if they go on point and the bird just leaves them remaining on point is not very useful in a, well, in a test or anything. So there is a lot, a lot in my opinion, to this, to developing a good dog in the upland field. There is a lot to it and it doesn't just happen with some training uh, techniques and it's different for different dogs. There are some pointing labs that I have seen And some that I've heard people tell me about I used to wouldn't have believed it till I saw I saw it myself And then it's like holy cow it really happens But those they point and they don't move and as long as you don't do anything to screw it up um, They just don't move and they are inherently staunch and I don't even know how that works or why that is But if you ever have a dog like that, but that is just really nice. (laughs) So enjoy it But that's pretty rare Generally, what we get on a sliding scale here now is a dog that does point and And when I say point, let me just say this That means when a dog encounters the convincing presence of a live upland bird a live game bird When they sense the convincing presence of that They don't really know what they're doing, but they freeze Okay that's and it's absolutely you can tell it in a heartbeat when you see it and and dogs that are uh, Let's just say encouraged into not moving. That's all they're encouraged into not moving. i to a point is when the dog Encounters scent that they believe and sometimes on a new guy. They don't you know It's where a bird was and is not there anymore. They don't know the difference. That's a they have to learn that but they smell what they think is convincing scent and they just freeze. That's what I'm talking about when I'm talking about pointing. Now people do all kinds of things with that. And I'm not even going to talk about that. I'm just going to talk about the real thing. The end goal is the thing that everybody is, a lot of people are most concerned with. All right, look at this. and then My dog points. How do I get him staunch? And everybody wants that stuff. And again, if you got one that already came that way, then yay for you. You've got that. You just, again, you don't want to mess that up. But when you have a dog that shows point and the, the the norm, what I would say the vast majority of pointing labs, at least that I've encountered do is, you know, they, when they do point and they kind of go into this sort of a trance thing. And then all of a sudden it's like they kind of catch themselves going, what am I doing? Let me get that. And then, then they move in on the bird, or they they go on point, and then the bird appears, or moves, or flies, and then they give chase, and so then they point. But when they learn how fun the pursuit and the chase is, then the love of that overpowers that initial automatic thing where they just stopped and froze. So you have all this stuff going on, and I don't. For me in all the dogs I've done, I don't find taking a hammer to them and going listen bucko This is what you're gonna do Sometimes you know with some dogs that works and with other dogs then they're not even gonna bother to point at all So there's a whole lot uh, That's going on out there Especially if you're new to this that you don't really think about and yes these dogs are a little bit different than the pointing breeds because they do have Usually their desire to retrieve is very, very high. That means their desire to retrieve is, is, is a go get it, go get that, put that in your mouth and bring it to somebody. That's what, so here you have a high desire to go get that, put it in your mouth and bring it to somebody right along with the desire to go, whoa, freeze. There's a bird right there. Those aren't two, uh, somewhat different behaviors and different responses. So when you're, when we're training these dogs with that real high desire to retrieve and the point in them, a little bit of patience and caution and awareness when you are going through this training process. Many, many people go with the mechanical way. All right, my dog points or he's out of pointing lines. So I'm going to do all of these mechanical things when the dog is on a bird. And I'll tell you if you ever watch those or you judge those dogs you could tell in the heartbeat You know, it's like somebody got Samsung to give you a robotic dog and it goes out there and goes There's a bird and then it stands there or there's a bird and it backs up safe distance away and stops Okay, those are all that is nothing that you have to have And, and as far as I'm concerned That's a terrible thing to do. That's like taking a beautiful orchestra and throwing out everything but the bass drum and the trombone and you take all the cool instruments away. I, I, that's just no point in doing that and there's a lot of judges, i probably one of them, that you aren't gonna pass with that because if it's a, a taut behavior it's not a real point. So how do we get our naturally pointing dogs, how do we get them staunch? Now this is, I'm going to do my very very best to keep this as simple and straightforward as I can, because there are several, there are different kinds of dogs who respond different kinds of ways to things. So if somebody tells you, all right, this is what you do. And they give you steps one, two, three, and four, there are going to be dogs where steps one, two, three, and four are going to be very effective. And there are going to be some dogs where by the time you get to three or four, they're out of the game. They're not, they may not even want to hunt anymore. They may not even want to point. When I've watched, uh, some of the pointer guys, um, not, they don't all do it the same. They're, you know, they do it all different ways too, but how they will break some of those pointing ducks, Oh my goodness. (laughs) For one, I could not do that to anything. So that's part of my deal is I, that's, I'm just, that's not my thing is to be that, uh, pressure-filled and forceful, teaching the dog, you know, this is what you're going to do or else. Um, And then some of the ways would be so overwhelming to some of our, I don't know, kind of thinker, heavy thinker type uh, retrievers that it wouldn't really compute to them. So what you do, you have to make sure that what you do when you're training dogs in the upland field, that it dovetails with the other stuff you're doing. I fully disagree with people. I've seen it many times on the internet. You know, what do I, how do I train my pointing lab? Well, train him like a retriever first, do all that, then go train him like a pointer second and you'll get it. And I, I, again, I'm sure there are dogs where that's worked very well. But I have found that if you make sure that the training makes sense, all the stuff that you're doing all the way along, where they do again they dovetail there's not like all right we have one set of rules over here and over here we have a whole other set of rules that would be as confusing to an animal or or basically not confusing and also they're gonna go I don't understand this so I'm just gonna kind of do my own thing or I or you build up resentment and I've talked a lot about resentment in the upland field and I see resentment in the upland field a lot and what that is with people and their dogs what that is Is they were enforcing some behaviors on the dog that did not make sense to the dog and so just like if it were you or me and somebody was making us do stuff and we could not see why or it wasn't didn't go with everything else then we would be unhappy. So being aware of what this is for your dog is one of the first things you have to understand. So the first thing you have to have, the first thing you have to have on a dog obviously is the desire to go out there and and look for birds. Um, that goes without saying. Now I'm not going to be talking about like a G, you know, when I put G on birds, as soon as I get the snow's gone and I can get her, I'm going to have, have her on birds and I'll tell you all about that. But there ain't going to be any rules, right? It's just like the last time she ate some quail. So I'm going to make sure we don't have anything to eat around there. And the birds are going to fly if she gets anywhere near them. Um, but there's other than there's no rules. I know she's going to chase them. And I'm not going to yell at her for chasing them Um, because this dog needs to learn that that you've got, there are birds out there and it's awesome to find them. And then, you know, if you just start shooting everything, whether they point or don't point, then they're going to do everything they can to get to that retrieve as fast as possible. So unless there's really strong pointers, if you kind of have some point in there, but not a lot and you shoot everything you may just wind up just teaching them, bust that sucker up because you're going to get it faster that way. So that's something to be aware of on that. So that's what's going to happen with G. Then she's going to also be going along learning basic obedience. And again, when I say basic obedience, it's, it's real. Sit means sit, here means here. Um, So we're going to be working on that. And eventually we will also get over to collar conditioning so that basic obedience applies close in or far out. But that's a dog. We're talking about a dog that's seven, eight, nine months, somewhere around there, where we start to be able to do that. So we want bird exposure, birds that are not catchable, birds that are not in cages, birds that don't smell like uh, oil from the garage. We want them to understand that there's birds out there and let them learn how to find them. Don't, again, this is not a mechanical thing. And I know a lot of you already know all this stuff. You don't stick it somewhere. Then you got all your smell going out there and the smell that whatever was on your gloves and there's a bird and then you walk out towards it and you get just downwind and you're sitting there waiting for the dog to do something. That dog feels that pressure unless they're just totally tune you out. Um, they they feel that pressure. That's not good. What you want is a dog to be out going through the field. If you've done the walk then they love going through the field and you get them where they are close enough to wherever you think the bird probably is where you put it. Don't, don't dizzy it and put it to sleep there. Have it sitting in some cover where it's gonna set and you, you get them downwind of it. So. And the reason I'm talking about this because this isn't about staunching is because I want very much in this dog and I'll use G as an example. I want her to have total conviction and total confidence. I am going out here and I'm looking for this stuff and that's it. I don't want a bunch of, there's not going to be rules. I'm not going to be trying to move her to the right, and move her to the left. I, I'll never do that anyway. I, I want her to be out there looking. I just give her the opportunity and as she, as she goes over, as the weeks go by, I do it. I do it once a week. I don't do it more than that because then I lose way. I'm way out of balance. If I do a lot of upland and very little of the control work, then I'm fighting over on the control work because that's not near as fun. So we do way more of the discipline work and the retrieving and the listen and the heal and the sit and all that stuff. We do more of that so that that part of her brain functions well every single day. And then one day a week, we go out and we do the, there's the birds and I'm going to get off your back a little bit here. And you know, you, you figure it out. You do the thinking that you got to do and you learn how to scent low and scent medium and set high and how, what cover means when you see it, you know, what, what that can hide, how to find things that are in cover that are hard to scent. So much stuff to learn. You aren't learning that because you aren't speaking to the ground and the earth and the cover and the wind and the sense the dog is, and they have to learn all about the languages from all of those things. So those, those are the opportunities that you have to give them and you have to be patient. You're not going in there to make this dog be a pointer, to get him to point and then to get him to hold point. You're The dog has much, much to learn if you allow them to do that. This is a whole lot easier, I know from experience. I try to do this easiest way possible. I'm the laziest person in the world. That's why G's going to go out and she's one day a week and we're going to go do that stuff. Unless for some compelling reason, you know, I need to do it a little more because I have too much control and not enough out, out in the field stuff. I don't think that'll be her problem, but some dogs do have that problem. Then maybe two days a week, I would do that. You need to have the confidence and the conviction that's what I'm talking about it when your dog and I'm gonna go with dogs at dew do point not ones that haven't shown you that yet so when they do show you the point right so then you want to make sure of several things you want to make sure that the birds aren't catchable you want to make sure and there's a real art to that you put them in some cover where they want to stick but when they get pressured they're out of there I like the alfalfa because they can just run underneath the alfalfa. You know, you don't have you may not have that or it may not be the season where it's high enough. But they can't the you know, they're just they have to really figure out, oh, stop, because otherwise I can't see it and it's moving. So they have to the birds need to be able to get away. When your dog does point, if your dog shows a little bit of consistent pointing, you're going to have to to shoot some birds and give them a retrieve. They aren't gonna be steady. They aren't gonna be on any of this stuff, but there has to be, when they show you that they point, you have to show them why. This is why you're, every time when you point, we're gonna shoot that thing. And if you're not in a position to shoot or you miss or something like that, carry a dead bird in your vest. And so let's just say you're somewhere working birds where you cannot shoot. Then you carry your blank pistol or whatever, your little starter gun, something, and a dead bird. And when that dog does that, you have a bird and a gun to go ahead and give them that retrieve. And they kind of know it's different, but it beats not getting a retrieve or throwing a plastic bumper. Um, so you have to show them why they're pointing. Now, usually what happens, usually, what happens is this is really cool. They really love this stuff and because we're doing our retrieving work all the time, right, they have a lot of that go get it. So they're going to point and especially after you've shot, in all of you know, a few, oh man, that is just really excellent. So they go on point and then they want to get it up because that's going to get them the retrieve. So <laughs> in the beginning you shoot to show them why they're pointing, but pretty soon they're going to try They They might start trying to produce that bird because they want the retrieve. So obviously that's when you stop shooting the bird when they're just producing it. So they get that. So now this is the hard part folks. It really is. So with some dogs, um, you know, it might just, you shoot a couple birds and then they're maniacs. So then we have to stop. With some dogs, you can shoot fairly consistently and they just still point a little better and better all the time. So them, you can still keep shooting. It's a common sense thing, not a recipe. So when they point well, give them the reward. If they start to not point well, stop giving them the reward. Both sets of those dogs, when they get old enough, when you have the basic obedience, when you have the collar conditioning, electric collar, this requires that and you have the boldness and the conviction about the birds now what we're going to do is we're going to teach them that they no longer chase birds that fly in the field this is this is important and every flushing dog and every pointing dog and as far as i'm concerned should be dechased dechased And I'm not going to go into that, that is an entire podcast unto itself. I've done it before. I've written about it extensively and it has to be done correctly. It is not steady to flush. That is one of the results of it, but that is not what we're doing. That, I mean, that we are, but the intent is to remove the thought of chase out of the dog's head. This seems to be a very difficult thing sometimes for people. Again, it's not steady to flush. I'm going to go get this dog steady to flush. It is a process through which we take this little dog that's very bold. If they're not, do not do this. They have to be very bold, kind of becoming a problem. Because now the bird comes up and flies and there they are. man. They are going all the way across wherever and now you got to go get them and get them back. Not a place to put a cord either. There are no cords in my dog business here now. We are long past that. And I don't use the cords out in the field. Anyway, um, not saying it can't be successful. I just don't. So I, I have, let's say it's G now and she's force fetched to color conditioned and and she's going to be very bold in the field. And now she's chasing everything everywhere. And, and point or no point, this is where it doesn't make any difference. Now we're going to teach these dogs when a bird comes up, you're done. The only time is if that bird is shot and dropped it's the only time you go and get it. So when this process is done correctly, what is done is you remove the thought of chasing completely. So that's what I'm doing. So when you remove the the consideration of chasing, obviously they're steady to flush. If you remove the consideration of chasing, Then when they're out in the field and one goes flying across from somewhere else. They aren't gonna go after that either. And so, oh, bird flying, nothing's happening. It's not mine. And so when you remove the chase thing, there are 10 zillion places where this is highly useful. Hey, one is if they bump a bird accidentally, it's just, there it goes. They can't, there's nothing, you know, they don't chase that. When the bird comes up that they've pointed, We don't go after that. If there's no reason, and when you do this correctly, and I'm going to just emphasize that again, read it in the book, go down, way down the list on the podcast on that. It's so important to be done correctly. When, when you do that, then you remove a lot of the reason to ever move in on a point. You remove, because if they do, if they go on point and then they creep in there a little bit and that bird flies up, they get to watch it fly away. Yes, I'm aware of all the money I'm talking about that's flying through the skies. But we're talking about a finished pointing dog. So it's, you don't just get that easy and you don't get it. Homing pigeons are good for that. If you have a dog that'll do the pigeon thing, homing pigeons are great because when they come flying up or fly away, then they go back home again and you can reuse them. The game birds are kind of pricey. But when you de-chase this dog and the de-chase, if you've done all your fundamental basic work, obedience, collar conditioning, well, first takes a couple days, two or three four days. That's it. And then they're done. And then you have to remain consistent with that. With every bird, everywhere, every time, no exceptions. Now the onus comes back onto you, the dog handler, to make sure that you say, okay, I've de-chased this dog. So this dog is never allowed to chase a, a bird again. Yeah. And so everybody listening going, well, what if I wing something and it's flying, it's still flying, but it's going to drop, uh, then send the dog. <laughs> That's all. Then send the dog on a retrieve. If you need them to pursue the dog, then tell them to go, but you don't need that. That's not their choice, only yours. So you have to remove that choice from them. And the consistency on that appears to be fairly difficult for people. I've had many, many, many people who I have have coached through the D-Chase and what to do and when to, when to put the and pressure is a part of that. It's enforcement pressure on here, but it's pressure is a part of that so that the dog goes, I don't think I'm gonna do that again. I'm not going to chase again. When you, when you, um, when you do that, it, it needs to be a forever. It needs to be a forever thing. And because I said you can do it in several days, you can create the response consistently in several days. You are now going to have to show that dog that you've made very bold on birds and very have a lot of confidence about it. You're going to have to teach him. Yes, you go and you find them and you point them if you're a pointing dog. But if and when it comes up, regardless of how it comes up, it is not yours. And so that has to be in a young dog training. That has to be something that you are 100% consistent on. Now, in my book, that also means if they're running along the ground, don't, you can't chase that either. You can't chase it. Now, if it's a wounded or something and you need them to get it, then you can send them. But we're training right now. We're talking about training dogs. And so, if, if I have one of my dogs goes on point and the, the bird pops up and starts walking, done. You guys are done. So, here comes the second stage of this thing. And that is the, uh, woe breaking. I'm going to try and not have this go too long. The woe breaking part of it. So the, I, every dog that I train, even when they're like really, really good, I tend to still, I still will break them anyway. And what people think of as woe breaking, woe conditioning is what I really like to call it because it's not, it is not a high pressure deal the way that I do it. But people, they, they kind of go through the motions and if your dog will stand when you tell them and not move, you know, they think that's good. Or if the dog will stand when you tell them, whoa, and then they, you can throw bumpers or shoot a gun and they don't break that that's good. And that's not it at all. <laughs> that's, that's like step number one. So there's a whole series of things. And again, I have three podcasts on that, three of them on that. What you're doing on these retrievers, I'm not even going to comment on how you would do a a German short hair or any of those kind of things. I'm not on these retrievers and it's got to dovetail with the rest of their training that we've got with these guys. I have found it's easier to do the slightly longer term brainwashing thing. Part of that, I developed this whole program. Part of that is because I don't like kicking dog's butts. I don't, I'll do it if I have to. I mean, if I have to get after somebody and fairly, I, I will do that. But my training program is not premised on, I'll show this sucker what he has to do. Um, every now and then there's a dog I've had to do some of that with, but that is not my training program. And most people um, are far more comfortable taking a little bit more patient, brainwashing route to get these dogs, uh, to the final thing. And so that's what I offer here. I don't say it's the only way to go. It's probably not if you're an impatient kind of a person, but when you will break these dogs and again, go back to those podcasts and look at it. It takes a while because first, because you can teach them to stand there instead of sit after all the sit work we've done. If you teach them to stand there, that's a good thing. And then you throw stuff and they don't go get it. But you do not have the state of mind that you need to have a fully well-broken dog. So there is, a, and it takes a, a couple months, at least sometimes more. If your dog learns slowly, it takes a couple months, but you, sl- once you get teaching that they have to stand there and then that they have to stand there with you being away from them, and then they have to stand there with you saying and doing all kinds of crazy things that are very tempting other than any, you can't use a command. You can't use a fetch or their name or back or something that has been, you have taught them. When I say this, you go get something. You don't do that, but you can say, oh, hop, hop and go get it and put your hand down. All 10 million things, all of which I've described. Okay. And then I, you know, I always show people and I have videos and stuff. I I am lucky. I have a flight pen. I take my dogs into flight pens and teach them to stand in there. Now, when they go in and stand there because they know they're supposed to because I taught the wool well enough ahead of time. That does not mean that they're gonna do that in the field. It's not even related to that because when they're in the bird pen and they're all got their training gear on, they know I gotta stand here, I gotta do this stuff, so I'll just do it. Uh, But that's all they're doing. It does not reach the part of their mind and heart when they're out in the field and they're on point and that, say you got a pheasant there and that thing, and we're training now, so it's not like a wild one. And it sticks its head up and poof, comes out and just starts running. right? Or it does that cackling thing and comes up flying. right And you say, whoa, <laughs> that's not going to happen. You can say anything you want because they're going to, your command is not going to overtake the desire to go get that bird. And that's the difference between what I'm talking about and what most people do is they should be so conditioned that you don't have to give a command when they're out there. If you have to tell your dog to stand still when they're on point, then they aren't really well broken. So you're out there battling with them and if you have to tell them, then if you're not close or you don't have some way to enforce it, they may just decide to do what they want. So here's the staunching up part for the guys that are a little bit more advanced. So this whole woe thing, and it takes time, is to change what's inside of their head. And with these retrievers, we don't change what's inside of their head by super high pressure, knocking them upside the head. We might make them fearful and concerned. As long as we're around, they have to do the right thing. But what you want is a dog that's going to go out there and point and not move and doesn't have to be told what to do. So let me offer several things for dogs up at this level to do. Now they need to be de-chased. You need to just not even be worrying about them. Not, if, if you're kind of worrying and holding on, then go back and get that done correctly. Because it just needs to be a thing you don't even have to worry about. And then when you do your woe stuff, Right? You don't just teach them to stand still and do what you say. You have to teach them that they're standing there and you're gonna do some of the most insane crazy things or unexpected things or extraordinarily tempting things, and you want them to mentally push back from that. I'll give just a couple examples. Telling a story on a couple people that know. I have one of my best clients, he has two, four times. Um, and he was getting ready to run his dog and all the upper level stuff. And, and I had, he's on the, if anybody's ever seen my videos of the wool breaking, he's on that. And, you know, I said, so you got him. Is he all, is he done? And he wasn't wool broken on the video. He was just demonstrating steps that you go through, including in the bird pen. And I said, is he, you know, is he pretty wool broken? Yeah, yeah, he was. And so I said, well, let's, let's see. (laughs) And so he put him on there and he stepped away. So we were throwing bumpers and shooting guns and, and, you know, all this stuff. And he just stood there. And so what I did, and this is a dog I had a little to do with part of his training. I just went and went, hup, hup, which always means, hey, I'm going to throw something. And he took off. So, (laughs) so was he well broken? No, not fully anyway. And so needless to say, after that, he was, you couldn't get that dog off. And I've had a couple other clients where I sent them off to will break their dogs and so I go test them knowing I can always find something wrong. You know, and there's like a Sarge man. I was going to, pre- you know, he has his first dog so he doesn't really know what he's doing, right? I'm going to go over there and show that he doesn't know. And there was not a thing in the world that I could do to get that dog to break. I don't know what all he had done. They had done stuff in the house and stuff in the field and stuff everywhere where that, man, when he heard, whoa, that dog was like, I am not moving no matter what. Not because he had been subject to terrible pressure, but because he had been subjects for quite a while to so much stuff to tempt him that there was no way he was going to do it. And he's a fourth time and he never failed to upland field at all. Um, another one, um, that I had from somebody whose first dog I got there in and they said, yeah, he's, he's well broken when I got him and I put my hand down over his head. I had thrown a bumper, walked over, put my hand down over his head and said, get it. And he took off. <laughs> so I said, nah, yeah, that dog's not well broken. So he got his next one in, I got another one. And he said, all right, this one is, this one's well broken that I've sent you. So I did the same thing threw the bumper, put my hand down and said, get it. She just stood there. She just stood there and the guns, oh, you can do all this kind of stuff. Right. And I just walked out in front of her because these people are very affectionate with their dogs. Love them very much. And I just went about 10 feet in front of her and just bent over a little and tapped both knees. You know, like, oh, come here, sweetie. There she came. (laughs) All right. So she, she wasn't really fully well broken either because she was like, oh, well, that's love. I'll move. So for, for those of us that don't like pounding heavy on dogs, come up with every kind of, Temptation that you can think of so that that dog knows once they're on whoa, man, they can't move and Then you also have to have in there the the bird part You have to have the bird part, you know Whether it's pigeons that you get from the the feed store or the you know, the warehouses or something you've got to condition these dogs to the presence of birds, the smell of birds, the sight of birds, the sound of birds, the flapping of wings, all of that. And I've described a number of ways you can do that. But you do have to condition them to, um, you know, hey, you see a bird, there's one. You know, he's walking towards you, he's real close to you, boy, he could just about grab him. And you still teach him, you still don't move. So the more time you take at this stuff, the more it's going to pay off. But we aren't there yet. And here's very often the missing part of this. And I'm going to use another story of another four time and a client here. Um, so the dog it was Wilbrogan. You could do all this stuff, right? You could, you could get down in front of him and give cut, kissy faces. Dog wouldn't move. You could do all this stuff. Um, he, was, he was very much that way. And so we were out in the upland field one time. And I bet people hate going to the Upland field with me. So we're walking out there. I really like this dog. And we're walking through the field. And he's already like a, I don't know, two and a half or three time Grandmaster or something at this point. We're walking through the field. And he's a real good bird finder. He goes out finds a bird, points. And I'm with my client there. And so he kind of, we start moving over there towards the dog. And he says, whoa. And the dog doesn't move and the birds flushed up, shot, retrieved and all that stuff. So we had another one to do and I said, all right, don't say anything this time. All right, let's just don't say anything. So he goes out, points his bird. Now I'm making him walk slow. (laughs) Not that we were running, but we were kind of wanting to make sure everything was, he was hurrying before. I said, let's just stroll on over, right? I mean, you're, you're going to have a four time here with, let's just stroll on. So we say, and he doesn't ever say a word. And so we're not, and we're not letting three, four minutes go by. Those people who do that, don't do that. But, but we walk over there and he doesn't say anything. And the dog takes just a couple steps forward and stops. And I, don't say anything. Takes a couple steps forward and stops. So anyway, the dog was not staunch since nobody had told, you know, and I said, was what do you get out of that? What do you get out of that? You know, and, and it was because he was, he had done all the work and all the stuff, but he was over there instructing the dog to make sure everything was okay. Now, if you're trying to pass a test, do that, go ahead and do that. But we were training. And so he was going to make sure that the dog did everything he said. So when when we removed the instruction, the dog, because he wasn't being instructed, went and showed us what he would do if he could do what he wanted. And that is to move and get, you know, how they do, they like to get, if they can on all the planted birds that we train with closer and closer and closer. So that is not a bird. You could, a dog, you could go hunt wild birds with because he would always want to be close if he could, or, you know, he was waiting to be told what to do because so many of us in the field where we've done all this wool work and we've dechased I hope and done all this stuff and so now we're going to go out there and make sure it all stays make sure we make sure we've got all this going so what you have to do folks when you're trying to get your dog honestly really staunched up is and you think you've done all your work go out there and don't say anything do not instruct and let the dogs tell you what it is they believe is okay. And then you go and you respond to that. And for example, what did, what did he do? I don't actually, do am not sure what he did. Cause I know, but he, I think he went back and did some more woe stuff. And I, I actually don't know. I'm trying to think what I would do on that. I, I, yeah, I hadn't been training him, so I don't know, but I would just probably go back maybe with some more bird stuff, really tempting bird stuff. And, you know, just teach him and also find a few times to correct him on moving on birds. And if I had to, I would force him to fail and then do the, it's a mild, it's a low correction. It's a pointer guy kind of correction, English pointer guy kind of correction. It And I would get some corrections on that dog. And I would, from that point forward, stop talking out in the upland field, including whoa. If you're at a test, I I say whoa at tests. Every judge that's ever judged me has heard me say, whoa, and I don't say it in training, but out there, I just want to be sure (laughs) that we pass the test. And so I'll say it out there, but that's, I think of the missing part for a lot of people is you've got to take in your training, the time to find out exactly what this dog tells you they really believe that they is okay to do. And they will tell you, well, you've been telling me what to do and now you're not. So I think I'll just do this stuff. And then you respond to that, that, and you go back to your basics and you address it there. And it sometimes is hard to know, you know, because, but the guy, when th- this big dog, who's now four time and this, this big guy, he was like, well, since you're not saying anything, I guess I can go. So he was pointing out the weakness of the trainer. And so the trainer needs to see that and make their adjustments so that they can make sure that this dog is staunch. So if you think your dog is de or you think your dog is well broken or whatever it is you think, then step back and let them tell you. If they go, if they're going to go move in on a bird, I always say, fine, let them do it. I do that with all of my guys. <laughs> they learn really quick. But it's like, you want to move in on a bird after I have them de-chased, right? And I have my my work on there. We go out in the field and it's like, you go ahead and tell me what you want to do. And go right ahead and do it. You want to move in on that bird? That means I plant them light. You get a dog like that, get it where if they just move at all, hardly. That that this bird, and that's all, man, bird planning is so important whether you put it on the edge or something or a little harder, whatever. But anyway, it's like, go ahead and move in because the minute you take a step towards that bird, we are right back on a really tough D chase. So I am going to say, you, you show me what you want to do and I'll show you the consequence of that. And when you're consistent with that behavior, then, and you do it with consistency and you do it at repetitively every week, you go out and you do the same thing. You don't start out letting them show you. You've got, you have to teach all those basics and that's month's worth of stuff. The D chase you know, that requires, again, basic obedience, a good collar conditioning, boldness out in the field, boldness on birds, them, a lot of conviction about what they're doing before you ever can de-chase. And then the woe stuff. Don't start, don't woe a young dog on a bird. They don't even know what you're talking about. They're still going, this is just so exciting. I just love this. So how you plant birds and where you plant them, that's what you do. But when they get old enough and bold enough and have all that other stuff, now we're going to go in there and we're going to say, and here's the rules and here's how this is going to work. And you, you de-chase before you do any woe stuff. And then once you've got the de-chase, now your woe stuff is going to be useful. But I don't do it in the field. I do it somewhere else and I go out in the field and just let them tell, give me the feedback. You know, is, are you doing a good enough job? Have you, have you shown me there's consequences to moving in the yard work? Have you shown me that stuff? And, and, and if I haven't shown them, then they start moving and then I go back to my fundamentals. And when I do my fundamental work and the correction work back there, and there is a correction, the consequence. When you move or try to go after something, there is a consequence for that. When I show them that there in, in my yard work that I do, and that again, that's my bread and butter, man, that is my bread and butter. And we go out in the field, they are, they're going to tell me, you know, whether I've gotten the point across or not, but they are going to be, have boldness and conviction there with they, when they point, they're going to point purdy because they aren't going to go get in all kinds of trouble right there. If they do a beautiful point and then bust in on that bird, one, they can't chase it once they're de-chased. I know the work I have to go do elsewhere, but I am not going to take that beautiful style and the conviction they have and just crush it with electrical pressure or cord pressure or whatever. Not going to do that. So the key to the staunching of these guys, they have to be pointers for sure. That they don't have to be just natural, stay there, never move pointers. It, it goes back to your fundamentals and do they dovetail with everything else you're doing and the patience and the consistency. Because there's a lot of dogs that it's taken me, I don't know. I, I've been working for a few months and I'm still getting the flash pointing and the flash pointing. So what happens then? Is I'll go back and that I'd love to be doing the handling stuff. I'll go back and be real demanding on that super structured, super listen to me, you know what I want, you have to do it stuff. Work them very hard there. Go back out in the upland field and it the I need to do what I'm supposed to do, what I've been taught to do, really shows up. But if I haven't been as, as demanding intellectually mentally demanding in my retriever stuff the handling and all that if I have if it's kind of loose and kind of okay but a little bit sloppy then I'm going to have that same thing in the upland field so for those of you guys that have the more advanced retriever stuff going where you've got the handling and all that you will find that that correlates almost directly with how well they're doing on those birds not in terms of finding them or pointing them but after that, the good behavior on that very intimately tied and I have solved, assuming my woe stuff was good enough. Um, I have solved a lot of my upland pointing problems by the handling and the advanced retriever stuff, because I am into the part of their brain that is saying, yes, ma'am, I understand. I re- I re- I understand. I get it. I have to think. I have to be aware, I have to know what the rules are without ever detracting from their style guys. That's the beauty of this stuff. That's why you do it separately. So so a lot of, a lot of, you gotta, you gotta truly uh, D chase You have to truly well condition these guys and it takes a lot and different dogs require different things. Like I said, some you do the love stuff, boop, they break others, you know, it takes something else but find out what makes them break and then change that thinking in their head. Go, you've got to do that then. So that's important. And then the other key part is over on the control stuff on the steadiness. If your dog isn't steady on a mark, eh, eh, I don't know how you can staunch him up in the upland field. I'm sure some people have, Uh, but I like to get in their heads over there on the control, you know, go when I say go blind stuff. Stop when I say stop, go again, come straight back. When I have that kind of thinking really good, that's when my, uh, I, I can do a lot, even a lot more on the staunchness and the pointing. So that's my version on staunching up finished pointing labs. Um, it's a little different than just all pointing dogs. Cause we have that whole retriever part that sometimes makes it way easier to get stuff and sometimes doesn't. So that's the uh, the winter offering today. I hope that helps people and gets everybody ready. We have time between now and the test if you get going on that to be able to make some of this stuff happen for you. So everybody stay, take care. I hope to goodness everybody's snow and cold weather goes away and we get back to whatever used to be normal. Wouldn't that be nice? So I will be back with uh, someday a new G report. I can hardly wait to get on birds and be telling you all about that. We'll be back with that as soon as we can.